This morning we're going to be reading, as I already said, a story that comes to us of Jesus encountering a woman at a well, and it comes from John chapter 4. And I'm going to be reading aloud for us verse 1 all the way through verse 26. Hear now the word of the Lord. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, or about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit. And in truth, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, 
I who speak to you am he. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning, we're going to be looking at the passage by separating it into three distinct chunks. I'm titling these three sections, The Meetup, The Message, and The Miracle. So first, The Meetup. While Jesus was going about his ministry on earth, he was very much a traveling preacher. He was always on the move, traveling from place to place. And this story takes place on the road. Jesus and his disciples are leaving the region of Judea, which is south, and they're traveling to the region of Galilee, which is north. In verse 4, John writes, Now Jesus had to go through Samaria, which was the region in the middle of the two. And we don't want to miss this opening detail because it's a curious detail. Because it's not that Jesus had to go through Samaria as if he was forced to in the geographical sense. There was another way to go from Judea to Galilee. In fact, it was common practice for traveling Jews to avoid going through Samaria by veering around it to the east. There was a well-trodden road there. When John writes, now he had to go through Samaria, he hints at something else going on. The Bible scholar that I read on this mentions how strong the language is here. Jesus was absolutely having to go through Samaria. He had an inner compulsion. He had an inner urgency. He didn't have to go. He could have gone around. But he did have to go. He was compelled to go. We aren't taking the bypass this time, boys. I imagine his disciples turned to him with questioning looks on their faces. I must go through Samaria. There is a place I need to stop. There is a person I need to see. This is a meetup orchestrated by God. So they did take the road right through Samaria, and the woman that Jesus meets with is a Samaritan herself. I didn't mention this earlier, but the reason why Jews usually traveled around Samaria was because Jews didn't like the people of Samaria. In Israel's history, there were long periods of time where Jews were in exile in foreign lands and being ruled by foreign powers. And at one point in history, the the region, that middle region of Samaria was resettled by foreign people who were planted there by a foreign government. And over time, the people of that area ended up being an ethnic and religious mix between the latent Jewishness of that area and the new things, the new cultural things that were coming in from the new people being planted there. Samaritans knew of God and they knew their scriptures and they worshipped, but their beliefs and practices were also shaped by the foreign influences of their background. So it wasn't just that Jews didn't like Samaritans. 
they believed it was wrong to associate with them. The proper thing to do around Samaritans is to avoid them, not engage them. But this is whom Jesus meets with. God's mission to seek and save the lost crosses human barriers. God longs for all of his lost children to be found, to be saved. John happens to mention that this meetup takes place at a very specific time. I think in the version that I read, it said the sixth hour or something, which is right in the middle of day. It was about noon. And what's important about this detail is that it sheds some more light on who it is that Jesus is speaking with. He's not just engaging a woman who's a Samaritan, which is interesting enough. He's engaging a woman who is alone. Common practice would be for the women of a village to gather their water in the morning or in the evening when the sun was not so strong. Common practice would be for the women to linger at the well at these times to talk and connect with each other. It would have been uncommon to go to the well to get your water at noon, the hottest time of the day, when no one else was there. Unless, of course, you were avoiding people. Or people were avoiding you. We learn later in the story that the woman's situation, both her past and her current circumstances, do not reflect God's will for human relationships. The hows and the whys of her situation are not laid out for us. We can assume that she has been sinned against and that she herself has made sinful choices along the way. Whatever the details may be, what we are shown is the result. This is a woman who is stuck in shame. The shame that accompanies sin, and by shame, I mean that icky deep down feeling that we are awful, that we are gross, that we are failures, that we are weak, that we are stupid, that we are ugly, that we are worthless, and that people would reject us if they knew. The shame that accompanies sin has a terribly isolating effect. We hide from people, and they hide from us. We hide from ourselves. It's too icky to face. We hide from God because we can't bear the thought of what he might have to say about it. So she was alone. But it was to her that Jesus absolutely had to go. Those are some details regarding the meetup. And now, on to the message. Jesus asks the woman if she can get him some water. Note that he asks. He doesn't give an instruction or make a demand like would be totally appropriate and expected of a man interacting with a woman at that time. He asks. He sees her and intends to engage with her in a conversation. Her response comes across somewhat bold, I think, and somewhat bristly. You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? In other words, why are you talking to me? Why ask me to do anything for you? 
Okay, quick sidebar here. This is the point in the conversation where I myself would have made a polite exit. If I attempt to engage someone in conversation and they gave a, a bit of an edgy response, I read the social cues and leave kindly. Not Jesus. He is unruffled. He persists. Seeing past the exterior, he sticks with her, eager to get at the heart. There is a message. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. If you knew who I was, you'd talk with me more. In fact, you'd be the one asking me what I can do for you. Her response is still bristly. In fact, the Bible scholar that I was reading on this notes that her mention of Jacob, the famous religious forefather of the area, is likely a bit of a challenge, challenging his, uh, you know, confidence. Really, she says, what makes you think you're so special? Again, unruffled by her demeanor and totally confident of what he has to offer, Jesus stays the course and simply makes the offer again. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them, that living water I just mentioned, will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This, friends, is the heart of the message. Jesus gives living water. Now, living water is not a, a word picture or a metaphor that Jesus randomly picks based on the fact that they happened to meet up by a well. The image of water throughout the entirety of the Bible is a symbol of God's salvation. Believe me, I spent like a day in the office reading all about it. In Genesis, at the beginning of all things, before sin entered the world, Eden as is described as having flowing rivers all around it. And in Revelation, where we have a vision recorded for us of the end of this age and the beginning of eternity, the new world is described as a thriving, flourishing city with a river flowing right through it. And throughout the book of Isaiah, these were some of my favorite passages, attempting to instill hope in God's people who were despairing because of the sin and godlessness that they saw all around them, Isaiah describes the salvation of God, that salvation that God would bring one day using images of gushing, bubbling, flowing, life-giving water. From Isaiah 35, Be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come to save you. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. From Isaiah 44, do not be afraid. 
for I will pour water on the thirsty ground and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And how would God's salvation finally come? Jews and Samaritans alike awaited a Messiah. That's a Jewish word translated anointed one. It means a leader, a king set apart by God and empowered by God to bring forth this promised salvation of God. Just like God anointed Moses to part the waters of the sea and have it come crashing in again. Just like God anointed Elijah to pray for the rain to stop over the land and then to pray three years later that the rain would come again. So God would send a Messiah to cause the waters of salvation, bringing life to flow in and through the people and land again. From Isaiah 49, one day God's people will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat down on them. He, the Messiah, who has compassion on them, will guide them and lead them beside what? Springs of water. Jesus' reference to living water is like a word bomb going off. When he drops it, it's like all these pictures and prophecies from the Bible explode and then hang there in the air. Jesus' concluding remarks to the Samaritan woman about true worship are totally connected to this. By the end of the conversation, sensing his spiritual authority, the Samaritan woman asks an important and relevant question. Is it Jews who are right about worship? Or is it us Samaritans? His mind still on the promise of God's coming salvation, he says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. A time is coming and has come when our dealings with God won't be about ethnic heritage or geography. A time is coming and has come when his presence won't be bound to a certain people or a certain place. God's salvation floods over and crashes through these earthly temporal limitations and barriers. And all those who receive his salvation through his everywhere spirit and through his eternal truth, no matter their people, group, or place, will worship unbound, unhindered, forever. Slightly confused, perhaps, but now completely captivated, the Samaritan woman comes back with, I think, just the best thing, the right thing, the longing of her heart, maybe. Well, there is a Messiah coming, you know, one sent by God to, to bring this salvation. He's coming, and when he comes, he'll explain it to us. And then like a waterfall roaring over a cliff, or like a dam finally giving way to an unstoppable force, our Lord looks her in the eye, opens his mouth, and unleashes the shocking news. I am he. I am am he. 
This is the heart of the message shared at this meetup. This is what we're meant to hear. This is the heart of the message that, like a mighty river, has been moving throughout the world ever since. Jesus is he, the one sent by God to bring God's salvation. Jesus is he, the one who speaks God's truth. Jesus is he, the one who imparts God's spirit. Jesus is he, the true, lasting, and only source of that living water promised and longed for. You want in? You want God's salvation for you? You want God's salvation for our world? Hear him say to you this morning, I am he. The discussion between Jesus and the Samaritan woman is largely theological in tone. But there is this moment in the middle where this woman's shame is exposed. Go call your husband, Jesus says. Uh, I don't have a husband, she replies. I know, he says. And he proceeds to gently but truthfully speak aloud the knowledge that the Spirit has given him about her situation. It's sort of a hard moment for those of us maybe who don't like talking about uncomfortable things. But it's an essential moment too. Jesus brings her to a place she must be if she's going to truly receive what he's offering. The living water of God's salvation isn't just for those who are curious about it or who get a whiff of a cool party they might want to be a part of. It's for the repentant. It's for the broken. It's for the needy. Furthermore, the living water of God's salvation isn't just something to look forward to in a general sense. It's super specific. It's personal. God's salvation is as wide as the whole world, yes, but it's also as deep as each individual heart. It's not just about God's people getting saved. It's about her being saved. God loves her. God forgives her. God is renewing and putting his spirit in her. Jesus absolutely had to go to her. This lost lamb needed to be found. This one. And the living water given to her has an amazing effect. We're going to wrap this up now by taking in the miracle. The miracle. The Samaritan woman is nothing less than completely transformed. Jesus said mere seconds ago that those who receive the living water that Jesus offers become springs of living water themselves. And this woman immediately begins to gush, like immediately. Let me read you the verses that conclude this dialogue 
I didn't include them in our reading in the beginning. I'm going to read them for you now. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked him, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way to him. And then later in the chapter, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many, many more became believers. One of my favorite details here is the little phrase, leaving her water jar behind. Did you catch that? Then she, leaving her water jar behind, went to the town. This was midday. In the desert. It was scorching hot. She came because she was thirsty. But she left her water jar behind? Of course she did. Of course she did. Her real thirst was actually quenched. She found something more important, more important even than the physical water she had gone for. And leaving her water jug behind, what does she do? She goes to the people to talk to the people, the very people she was likely avoiding, the very people she was hiding from. Make no mistake about it. This woman's shame has been taken away. She has been freed, no longer defined by her past circumstances or her present circumstances. She is defined by the love shown her and the salvation offered her. And she goes from someone shamed, isolated and alone, to someone who's back in community. And note what is repeated twice here in this story's conclusion. When she engages her community again, she says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. That's repeated twice. Her testimony is, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Can it be, can it be that the very cause of her shame of our shame becomes the stuff used to share the news about Jesus being the Messiah and to point others to him and point others to Jesus she did. She was transformed, but then her whole community was. This is how it goes with living water. Jesus gives it to those who ask for it, and then those people become springs of it themselves. Friends, this is our story. This is our Jesus. This is our God. This is our salvation. This is what we have been brought into. To those of you who, like the Samaritan woman, feel yourselves to be lost or thirsty or dealing with sin 
or stuck in shame, know that just as Jesus came to her, he comes to you. And to you, he says, I am he. Do you long for living water? Jesus says, I am he. Do you long for forgiveness? Jesus says, I am he. Do you long for freedom from your shame, for transformation, for new purpose, a new life? Jesus says, I am he. Do you long for God's salvation, for the fullness of it, for God's presence and power to rain down, to be poured out on all his people everywhere? Jesus says, I am he. Turn away from springs that hold no water. Turn away from wells that run dry. Leave the water jug behind. Look to Jesus and discover he's already looking at you. He sees you. He knows. And he promises living water to all those who simply ask. To those of you who maybe don't identify closely with the Samaritan woman, but have people in your lives that are coming to mind now that maybe do or might, to those of you who know of someone lost or who love someone that is lost or who are walking with someone who is lost, see and believe that the same power, the same power that worked the miracle in her life is absolutely at work in yours too. Trust that the living water of Jesus is a spring in you, welling up and ready to run over. Trust the Lord to cause his salvation to bubble up in you and to go forth into the lost around you. Like Jesus, obey the prompts of the Spirit. And like Jesus, persist. Don't take initial outward signs of rejection as an automatic closed door. Hold steady. Stick with them. You have what they most need. So offer it. And then offer it again. Jesus has saved you and his spirit is now in you, transforming you into one that can bring his salvation to others. Praise God and amen. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may your word go deep this morning and take root in our hearts that our lives may reflect it. You promise, Lord, to give to those who simply ask, so we quiet ourselves now and ask again. Give us your living water that we may thirst no more. Save us, and then, Lord, transform us. May your living water, your salvation, bubble up and out from all of your church into your whole world that all your lost may be found again in you. To the praise and glory of your holy name, we pray this through Jesus. Amen.